week we had a great weekend here as we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the resurrection for our Good Friday service and our Easter egg hunt and our Easter services. I just want to thank you guys uh, for making that weekend so special and uh, for, for joining us for that. And if this is your first time back, we're glad that you're here with us again. And uh, we're excited that you have chosen to be here this morning. Last week, uh, we took up a special offering for our Easter services. If you remember, we took up that offering uh, and 10% of that was going to go towards the alley uh, to provide ministry here for those who are in need in our community. Meals during the week and recovery ministries and just a way to connect with those who are often feeling uh, the most down and the most out and struggling the most. And I want to thank you uh, for being a church that rises to that challenge. You're going to see it on the screen. This is how much we received last week for our special offering, $6,694.78. Let's praise God for that. Yeah. I want to thank you for being a church that's living and giving generously. That's a phrase uh, that we use around here to remind us that it's not just about our money. It's also about uh, what we do with our time, our talent, and our treasures, our resources. Uh, there are ways that you can give, that you can partner with what's going on here at Seymour Christian. You'll see those up on the screen. We've got kind of the, we call them the old-fashioned ways of actually writing a check. My wife wrote a check this week to somebody, and uh, she, she showed them to me, and I said, what is that? She goes, it's our checkbook, and it's Star Wars checks. I didn't even know that we had a checkbook, to be honest. I've been so long. So some of us still write that way, so you can do that. You can drop it in the baskets we have back here. Uh, there's also, outside on the way out, there's a um, little box on the door. You can put that. You can drop it by the church office. Or if you want to give electronically, that's really easy. At seymourchristian.com forward slash give. Or once again, you can take that QR code to your phone right here, right now even, and just scan that. It'll take you right to the giving app, and you can securely uh, give to the ministry that's going on here. So thank you for being part of what God is doing here in this community and also around the world. Uh, and what it's all about is not about getting numbers here for Easter. Uh, we love it when more people come. What's really about is seeing people give their lives to Jesus. Amen? And yesterday we were able to do that. You'll see up here on the screen, uh, Colton Wells gave his life to Jesus. He was baptized yesterday. So we want to just welcome Colton to the family of God. Yeah. Matt Hanks did that baptism. Uh, if you, if you've, Colton is right now in our children's ministry area in the clubhouse, uh, worshiping with his buddies there. So if you see Colton after, be sure to just congratulate him and, and know, help him know that he's not going through this alone. Uh, that there are those of us in this room, those of us part of the church family here walking together with him. So I want to thank you for that. Well, this morning we're starting a new series. You'll see up on the screen called The Bible Doesn't Say That. Uh, there are all sorts of things that we often think the Bible says. We're actually, sometimes we're sure of it, that the Bible has to say this. And then we kind of find out, actually, that's not what the Bible says at all. So I want us to play a little game here this morning. I'm going to put some things up on the screen. You tell me if the, this is in the Bible or not. The first one, cleanliness is next to godliness. That, that sounds like it's from the Bible, right? No, no. Uh, that was said. No, people are not exactly sure who says that. Originally, it might have been John Wesley in a sermon, but uh, that's not from the Bible. Second one. A liar will not be believed even when he speaks the truth. Oh, that sounds like it's from Proverbs. How many of you think that's from the Bible? Yeah, that's a, Nope, not from the Bible. That's from Aesop's Fables. What about this one? This too shall pass. Oh, that sounds super scriptural. No, that was actually said, a misquote of a scripture by Mike Ditka as he was talking about losing a game, uh, and it's not Gandalf either, that he said something different, but this too shall pass is not in the Bible. What about the next one? Make yourself bald and cut off your hair. 
How many of us think that's from the Bible? Yes, it is. I heard an amen there. That must have been Dan Weaver. <laughs> Micah chapter 1, verse 16, that's what that says. How about this one? Money is the root of all evil. Oh, come on. That is straight from... No, it's not. That is not exactly. You guys know what it is. You'll say up here, the love of money. There's a difference there, a big difference. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. All right, the next one. A fool thinks he is wise, but a wise man knows himself a fool. Bible? Sounds like proverb. Nope. Shakespeare. Yeah, but he did know his Bible. That's right. But that's a quote from Shakespeare. This was back in the day when there were giants in the land. That sounds more like Lord of the Rings probably, doesn't it? Nope, that's the Bible. That's from Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. What about this one? This is fam- God will not give you more than you can handle. Oh, that sounds, that sounds so scriptural. No, that is not in the Bible. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks as well. What about the next one? For there to be betrayal, there would first have to be trust. Nope, not the Bible. Katniss Everdeen from Hunger Games. Sounds like it's from the Bible, though, doesn't it? And then finally, God helps those who help themselves. Surely that is in the Bible, right? And we've quoted that. As the good book says, God helps those who help themselves. No, that is not in the Bible. That's actually what we're going to talk about this morning. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, it, we're teeing up this series here called The Bible Doesn't Say That. And there are all sorts of things that we often think the Bible says that it simply doesn't say. That last one, God helps those who help themselves. There was actually many years ago, you might remember this, uh, back when Jay Leno used to host The Tonight Show, he had a thing called Jaywalking, a segment where they would meet people on the street and they'd ask them questions. Uh, and he asked them, well, usually they were just, they were people just gave the dumbest answers. Uh, and you'd look at it and you'd go, I would never say that. And then when someone would ask you the questions, you might say the same thing. And uh, Jay asked this group of people in and out of New York City to name one of the Ten Commandments. Could they name one of them? And you know which one was named more than any other of the Ten Commandments? This last one that we just read there. God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> that was the number one answer given. 80% of people said that was one of the Ten Commandments. It was from the Bible. And you think, well, those people, they, they haven't been to church. They don't know. Uh, we're not much better. Barna did a survey and found that 50% of American Christians believe God helps those who help themselves is found in the Bible. But it's not, and there's a reason we're going to see why this morning. Uh, so where did that come from? Uh, many people will attribute that phrase to Ben Franklin in his almanac that he wrote. Uh, but actually, it dates back even further than that. Uh, ben Franklin most likely got that saying uh, from Aesop's Fables, again. The saying, God helps those who help themselves, has its roots throughout history in one way or another. But its earliest known record that we have from that is from Aesop's fable, Hercules and the Wagoneer. And here's the text of that brief fable. A wagoneer was once driving a heavy load along a very muddy way. At last he came to a part of the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire, and the more the horses pulled, the deeper sank the wheels. So the wagoneer threw down his whip and knelt down and prayed to Hercules the Strong. Oh, Hercules, help me in my hour of distress. But Hercules appeared to him and said, Man, don't sprawl there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The gods 
help those who help themselves. And so that's more likely where that phrase comes from. There's variations of it even found in the Quran. That if you would earn God's favor by helping yourself, he would look kindly on you. But like so many of the phrases that we're going to look at over the next few weeks, this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, has just enough truth to sound right. It sounds like it must be from the Bible. On the surface, it sounds right. And especially for us as Americans, right? This is such an American phrase. God helps those who help themselves. I can do it all. I pull myself up by my bootstraps, we might say. And there is some truth to this statement. Uh, it's often a statement that might be used, maybe you've done this to, you said this to your kids before, to get them motivated to get out of bed and do something, or to do their chores, or whatever it might be. God helps those who help themselves. If you want God's help, you gotta work. You gotta do it. And there is, once again, some truth to every one of these statements that sound like they're from the Bible, but aren't. But it's not fully from the Bible. Now, the Bible does speak often about laziness, there's several scriptures that points to that. A Proverbs chapter 19 says, Laziness casts on one into a deep sleep, and a lazy person will suffer hunger. Or Proverbs 13, 4 says, The slacker, I love that, The slacker craves yet has nothing, but the diligent is fully satisfied. So, of course, the Bible tells us we shouldn't be lazy we have to, to get up out of bed to work. We have to toil. We have to do those things. But it doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. I've mentioned this a few times over the past few months, how I need to get healthy. I've gained weight. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, it's gone beyond not just being able to fit in my clothes. It's affecting my life. It's affecting my movement. Uh, now, I could pray, and I am, that God would help me. And you can pray, and I'd love you to pray for me that God would help me. But I have to play a part in this, right? I can't just pray, God, I need to be healthy, make me healthy, and continue to not exercise. Or continue to eat poorly and expect God to miraculously fix me. Because God has enabled me to get off of my own behind and work. And yes, it hurts. Parts of my body hurt that I didn't know could hurt. It's uncomfortable, but it's still possible for me to move. See, the reality is God can help me get healthy, but he's expecting me to participate. Uh, imagine you come into my office and you say, Stephen, I really would like you and the church to pray for me that I can get a job. We say, oh, man, we will join you in prayer, asking that God would provide just the right job for you. So we pray together. The whole church is praying for you to get a job. You come back in the office in a couple weeks, and we ask, how's it going? Did you get a job? And you say, I haven't gotten a job yet. So what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? How's it going? And you say, well, I, I prayed, and I asked God to give me a job. Well, did you fill out a resume? Did you fill out an application? Did you apply? Did you call any place and see? No, no, I just asked God to give me a job. That's not the way it works. You've probably heard that joke about the guy stuck on the roof and is praying for God to help. In case you're not, it's called the drowning man. And there's this guy that's stuck on his roof as a flood is coming up. 
And he's praying to God, God, please help me. I need your help. Save me. And so somebody comes by in a rowboat and says, hey, buddy, get in the rowboat. Come on. And the guy says, no, 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 no. I prayed to God. He's going to save me. So the guy, okay. He just rows away. A couple minutes later, a guy in a speedboat comes in. Hey, buddy, come on, get on the boat. Come on, come to safety. The guy goes, no, no, I've prayed and asked God to save me. Go on. I goes, okay. Next, a helicopter flies by, lowers down the line and says, grab on, grab on, we can save you. And the guy goes, no, 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 no. I've prayed to God. I've asked him to save me. It's okay. And of course, the guy drowns and he dies. And he asks the good Lord in heaven, God, I prayed to you. I asked you to save me. Why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent a rowboat and I sent a speedboat and I sent a helicopter. What more do you want? See, the reality is God will not do for you what he's enabled you to do. God will not do for you what he's enabled you to do. There is a nugget. This is the nugget of truth that's in this statement, God helps those who help themselves. You can't just sit by and expect God to do things for you that he's enabled you to do, to participate in. But he will work with you. He's going to work with me to get healthy. But he isn't just going to fix it for me. He will work with you to do what he has enabled you to do. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, this is Paul speaking. He says, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was working within me. So what's the problem with this phrase, God helps those who help themselves? It might not be in the Bible, but it does teach a partial biblical truth, Right? Well, if you simply and solely mean that God will enable you to participate in his good works, then yes, there's nothing wrong with that statement. But the problem with the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is that it breeds two things, both of which are dangerous, and both of which distort our understanding of who God is and who we are. The first problem with that phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is it breeds pride. Pride in yourself. We become our first source of help and strength. And this is the American way, right? To pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to do it, to make your way, to go out there and make it happen. If you head out to any bookstore or, or look at some of the Amazon bestseller lists, the self-help and motivation books are often the largest, best-selling section. We as a culture are obsessed with making it on our own taking what's ours. And while it's not bad to be self-motivated, and it's certainly not wrong to apply yourself, and as we saw, the Bible does often speak against laziness. When we become our first source of strength, we're training ourselves to think that it's all about what we do. That it's all about us. And this fuels what's often called a works-based relationship with God or I call it transactional Christianity. You know, I do these things, and then God, you're going to give me this. I go to church, and you give me fill in the blank, whatever it is that you need. I pray, you do this. I give money, you do this. And it gets us thinking that we have earned the grace and the gifts of God. This drives for self-sufficiency. That becomes the lens in which we view everything in our world. 
And we might joke and say, well, I knew that God helps those who help themselves isn't in the Bible. But so many of us choose to live that way. Jesus warned us about this in a familiar parable he shared about a religious man and a tax collector. I'm going to read it for you. It's not going to be up here on the screen, but if you want to follow along, it's from Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. He said, To some who were confident in their own righteousness, who were helping themselves, and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Pride in ourselves. God helps those who do it on their own. No. There's another way that pride sneaks in, though. And it's often much more subtle. Most of us would say, yeah, I don't really uh, think about it the way that the religious official did. I don't just go grandiose about who I am and look at all the great things that I've done. Often, though, pride is more subtle. See, when we become our first source of strength, we don't just take credit for the good that we do. We let pride take over in other ways as well. See, only when we've exhausted all our own means do we go to God. And on the surface, this seems like it's probably the right first step. After all, why would we burden God with something that we can take care of ourselves? But this makes our life, both the good that we do and the good we want to see and the mistakes that we make, all about us. And so our success and our failure is determined by our will, what we make happen, by our efforts. So what happens when we fall short? We're filled with shame. And shame leads us to blame. Sometimes we blame ourselves. It might sound like this. If I would just try harder, I might fill in the blank. I might not lose my temper. If I had a better job, I wouldn't feel so stressed all the time. If I, if I, it's all about us. It's all about what we can do to help ourselves. The first problem with that statement, God helps those who help themselves, is it breeds pride in ourselves. The second is it breeds apathy towards others. Apathy towards others. When we begin to take to heart the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, it doesn't just change how we approach our successes and failures. It clouds how we see the world around us, how we react to people around us. It grows apathy towards others. I mean, have you ever looked at the situation of someone that you saw holding a sign on a street corner, begging, literally begging for help, and thought, well, if they just get a job instead of standing there? Or really any other phrase that begins with, if they just. Again, it's not only wise but biblical to not be lazy. But time and time again, we see in Scripture that God is most concerned with people who can't 
help themselves. Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever shuts their eyes or their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. Leviticus 19.9 says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over the vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. God cares and wants us to care about those who can't help themselves. James chapter 127 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Caring for those that can't help themselves. See, when we live out of pride in what we've done or apathy towards those who can't help themselves, we miss a key component to life in the kingdom of God. Remember this last series, we talked about what it means to live in the upside-down kingdom of God. And when we live out of pride, I will help myself, or apathy towards those who can't help themselves, we miss out on this key characteristic of the kingdom, and that's community. Community with God and each other, caring for one another. I'm going to read some of these passages real quick, so they're not going to be on the screen, but Galatians 6, 2 says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. First John 3 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also the interests of others. See, when we close ourselves off from giving and receiving help, we close ourselves off from experiencing community. This is hard for so many of us to admit that we need help, that we can't do it on our own. And I don't want to just feed a stereotype, but guys, this really applies to us a lot of the times. We don't want to appear weak because if we need help, help from each other, help from the Savior, we must be weak, right? And we can't be weak. But here's the reality. God helps those who help themselves? No. Because we can't help ourselves. We can't help ourselves. This is the message of the cross. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead. This is me and you, all of us. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You have nothing to do with that. 2 Corinthians 3. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are com competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. From pulling myself up by my bootstraps? From trying real hard? From faking it till we make it? No, it comes from God. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do some things. No, you can do nothing. We can't help ourselves. Romans 5, 6 says, 
For while we were still helpless, while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, you and I, while we were helpless. The phrase really to be fully biblical should be God helps those who recognize they can't help themselves. God helps those who recognize they can't help themselves, that we can't help ourselves, that we can't do it alone, that we need Him. Just a few weeks ago, we spent time in the Beatitudes. And if you remember, we started with the Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. And spirit, or being poor in spirit, remember, wasn't being poor physically. It was recognizing that we can't do it alone. It was recognizing our need for Him. That God needs to be the place that we turn to first, not last. Not after we've tried it on our own. Not after we've tried to do it by ourselves. See, when we realize our true condition, we realize that God is the only one who can help us. So if we can't help ourselves, what role do we play in this? Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. God helps those who help themselves is seeking our kingdom, building our own kingdom. So what's our role in this? What's our responsibility? To pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, to fake it till we make it, to fill in the blank with whatever cliche motivates us? Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Our responsibility is to respond. Ask, seek, knock. You do have a role in this. When we recognize that we can't help ourselves, we ask Him for His help. We seek His help and guidance. We knock and He opens the door. He's providing the help. But we aren't just sitting back doing nothing. But what does it look like for us to put God's kingdom first in everyday life? If we can't help ourselves, how does God help us? One of the key ways that God helps us is through the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit. You might have often referred to the Holy Spirit as our advocate, our comforter, or our helper. Providing that help for us. When we try to go on life our own, no. When we say, God, I ask you, guide me, give me strength. And how does the Holy Spirit do that? John 14, 26 says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the helper, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. It's that nudge. That nudge to turn down that job because you know you'll be asked to do something unethical. It's God helping you. It's the nudge to turn your gaze away from that person that you find attractive because you are committed somewhere else. That's God helping you the nudge to be kind to the grouchy cashier at the store because who knows what her day's been like. 
the nudge to help someone out when you really just want to go home and get comfy on the couch. It's that nudge to stay quiet instead of coming back with that snappy retort that you just got brewing in your brain. It's God helping us. The Holy Spirit nudging us to turn to Him in the hard days, on the bored days. Those days we're not so happy. Instead of turning to our TV or our money or having a drink or eating an entire sleeve of Oreos or scrolling mindlessly on your phone, the Holy Spirit becomes our helper. We don't do it on our own. It's Christ, the Holy Spirit, working through us. Seeking His kingdom first means seeking Him first. Knowing Him. Recognizing that you aren't doing this alone. You have a helper. And what's our response? To seek His kingdom first. When we put the things of God first, it doesn't just become our top priority. It becomes the lens with which we look at everything in our world. It's how we see other people. We no longer see that person on the street corner the same way. It determines our daily activities. And through which we see all things, everything in our life is looked at through this lens of seeking first his kingdom. It's not a priority. It's our worldview. It's how we look at life. When we seek first his kingdom, we no longer see those who are helpless as lazy bums who just need to get a job. We see them as children of God who, whether through their bad choices or no choice of their own, are in need, just like us. And God has placed us there to use discernment and be his hands and his feet. When we seek first his kingdom, we don't see the job we have or the possessions around us as our reward, our rights because of our hard work, because of what we've done. Instead, we see the material possessions that we have as things entrusted to us because of his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. When you seek first his kingdom, when we experience a victory or growth in our lives, when we aren't losing our temper as much, where we are speaking more kindly to our family, when we don't give in to that temptation, we recognize it's not our strength that got us there. It's his. It's his victory. My weakness, your weakness gave way to his strength. Jesus said, my power is made perfect in weakness. See, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not God helps those who help themselves, but God helps those who recognize they can't help themselves. Because you and I can't do it on our own. We can't help ourselves. And Jesus is standing at the door of our hearts, knocking gently. Will you answer? Will you seek him First. Not your power to conquer the sin in your life, but his power through you. The Holy Spirit nudging you in the right direction. His power made perfect in your weakness. It's not the pride that you experience. It's not apathy towards others. It's his strength in you. Will you seek first his kingdom? And all these things will be added to you. Let's pray together.
God, this, this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, it, it, it does have some truth. Lord, you want us to, to do the work that you've called us to, but Lord, it's not about what we do. God, that has shaped so many of our thinkings that we're going to earn something with you. That we're going to try harder. That we're going to do it, Lord. And when we fail, then we, we feel lost. But God, we cannot help ourselves. Jesus knew this, so he came and died for us on the cross so that we could be with you, so that we could be made right with you. When he ascended up into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to us to be our helper so that we know that we are not going through it alone. We have your spirit guiding us, empowering us, not our own, Lord, our own strength, but your strength. God, forgive us for the times that we take matters in our own hands, that we think that it's about what we have done. Help us to recognize it's never about us. It's always about seeking first your kingdom. God, help us to let go of that pride that builds us up but also tears us down as we look at the failures in our life and try to own them on our own. Oh God, you have empowered us to live for your glory. God, forgive us for the times that we have been apathetic to those around us, thinking if they would just change these things in their life, then things would be all right. God, we don't know everyone's story. Help us to be people who are serving those around us. Help this to be a community where we lean on each other, where each of us, Lord, knows that we're not alone. We have each other and we have you. God, may we seek first your kingdom. May we recognize that we can't help ourselves, but praise God, you can, you have, you will help us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.